Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company podcast. It's Pride Month, and this is the first in a series of podcasts that focus on LGBT in horror. This is Andrew Robertson of the HWA Ontario chapter, and my guest today is Seattle-based author and LGBT advocate and activist, Andrew Wolter. Hi, Andrew. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. So... This is where I tell our audience a little bit about you in case they're unfamiliar. Andrew Wolter is the award-winning author of the book Seasons in His Abyss, Much of Madness, More of Sin, and Nightfall, among others. His short stories have appeared in several anthologies, uh, printed online publications, and uh, as I just mentioned, he's an advocate for LGBT rights. Uh, He's also a freelancer as a contributing columnist for a nationwide LGBT publication under the pseudonym Tristan Wilde, which we'll talk about later. And under the same pseudonym, Andrew publishes homoerotic mystery novels, which, frankly, I find quite interesting and I'm going to have to look into. So, Andrew, welcome to the show. I want to start by talking about StokerCon 2016, which has just happened, and the award that you received, the Richard Lehman President's Award. Uh, in a previous episode, we spoke with Patrick Feivald, who you shared the award with. Um, and for people that didn't catch that episode, the award is named in honor of Richard Lehman, who died in 2000 while serving as the HWA's president. And it's given by the sitting president of the HWA um, to a volunteer who has served in an especially exemplary manner and has shown dedication to the organization. So you shared the award this year with Patrick Freewald um, as a, a part of your work moderating the HWA Facebook page. So I wanted to talk about that first. How important is the presence on social media for an author? And what are some of the challenges with moderating a really public page like the HWA's? Well, in terms of the um, how important uh, social media is for an author, I I, I, I utilize social media regularly. I, I, I'm no, um, I'm really no uh, stranger to it. Uh, I take a lot to Facebook, uh, uh, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I, I I think I'm going to give that. Uh, um, I all of the social media uh that i utilize um i use it for different audiences uh you you had mentioned uh, uh i write an also under the name tristan wild uh under my name andrew walter i i predominantly uh am on facebook uh, i think it's very important to utilize those uh tools uh to get not only uh other authors but primarily readers interested uh, in you. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a background in marketing, so that does help. Um, I've learned and have utilized the Facebook algorithms and uh, uh, really understand how it all works uh, in terms of that. Not saying I'm a professional at it, but I, I, I get it. And uh, it works for me. I think in, in terms of... Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I just think in a in a world where every couple of weeks there's something new in terms of a social media tool, um, there's a lot of opportunities. It's just a matter of, of how you take advantage of the existing platforms, and especially the most popular ones. So in in terms of the moderation that you do for the HWA, 
and probably on your own page as well, where people are free to access it, comment, um, uh, speak to you directly in a really public forum. What are some of the challenges that you've come across in that forum? And what are some of the opportunities that you found to be um, really advantageous to getting the word about your work out there? Uh, first and foremost, um, in terms of the HWA uh, moderating on the Facebook page, before Patrick came on, um, uh, you know, I've, I've been with, uh, I've been an ex member of the HWA for almost four years. And uh, I, I, I've, done several volunteer uh, uh, scenarios with them, including the, the moderating the Facebook page. So before Patrick came on, I used to be the quote unquote bad cop. <laughs> and so I was the one that would tell people, Hey, um, you're over promoting or this is not proper for the page, whatever the case. Um, uh, since Patrick's come on, um, we've named him more as bad cop <laughs> and I let him <laughs> yeah, do a yeah, lot of did. the work. <laughs> yeah, he I'm like, I'm going to hand this do. off to someone else. Um, when he came on, yeah, we, he, he, he's become bad cop and I, I kind of consult with him a lot more. Um, just because, uh, not only I've been busier with a lot of other things, but, uh, uh, he's become more bad cop with, uh, the scenario. Um, in terms of, uh, so some of the, I mean, some of the challenges with it are as, uh, you know, I, I, I listened to the interview with Patrick and, and he kind of named a lot of it, you know, people spamming, uh, Ray-Ban sunglasses. Oh, come check me out on Yahoo. I'm this hot babe, whatever. Um, uh, you know, you have those things then you have people that just don't read the rules and they just try to promote or over promote if they're not HWA members. Um, uh, I mean, so challenges there were, you know, when I did play bad cop was a matter of uh, telling these people, Hey, you know, you have to do this on this day only, or you have to take this within this, type of scenario you cannot promote this or that or that and sometimes you get people that get pissed at you and they're like well i hate you i don't want to be a part of the organization i'm going to unfriend you also because i friended you when i when you accepted me um for the group page uh not necessarily as a member uh um so uh, th there was a lot of that um that's a are there bit of a challenge? But. Are there a lot of babies out there that that think that they're just entitled to post news about their upcoming novel three times a day? Like, is that the type of thing that you're dealing with? Um, I, I used to before Patrick took on Bad Cop. Um, now I, I now I see all the posts pending, and I'm like, Patrick will handle it. I'll approve a lot of posts that are, um, you know, I you know, you check and make sure they're an HWA member and, uh, but beyond that, you do get people that, um, in the past, uh, and I'm sure Patrick deals with this a lot. Uh, I, I've, I've responded to people saying, Hey, you know, you can only post on a Saturday if you're a member and the rules have changed a lot. You know, I worked with Rocky a lot in the beginning, uh, when I came on, um, Rocky kind of introduced me to it and, 
um, Rocky Wood, who, who recent president, uh, has since passed away. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, there were times I'd have to, I'd have to, uh, divert to him. I'd have to say, Hey, Rocky, there's this person that's just crazy because they, they're like, you know what, blah, blah, blah. They, they go crazy. So, you, you know, you see that a lot. Um, on my page in particular, um, I think the only complaint I ever have is when I, and it's like a lot of authors have, when we friend uh, people on Facebook and the first thing they do is they put on your, your wall, or I'm sorry, your timeline. That's the proper no, proper the, terminology. The timeline. We, uh, we only use proper line. terminology on this show. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it was once your wall, now it's your timeline. So um, uh, it's when I friend somebody, you know, that friends me and I'm thinking, oh, okay. And, and I accept the friend request. And the first thing that goes on my timeline is, thank you for your friend request. By the way, my book is number one or number whatever on Amazon's bestseller list um, or my new book's out or whatever. Basically, they, they, they put on your timeline what they are promoting um, and, and specifically so that your friends can see it because they see that you have a large network of friends. In my case, I do have a large network of friends. Um, and and uh, the first thing I do is delete and then I write them. And then I, depending on their response, I'll give them a chance. I believe everybody deserves a chance. Uh, uh, I'll block them if if they're a dick to me. And, and usually they're a dick to me. They're like, well, dude, I thought we were in this together. But, well, there's in this together and there's doing your own marketing. You know? No, I think that's absolutely uh, fair because when when you're on a social network, you're aggregating a group of like-minded individuals. And when someone unknown comes into that and wants to use your platform as their platform to promote themselves, um, I, I find it really irritating. I mean, it's happened on my wall as well where people – or timeline, sorry – where people will slap, <laughs> slap something up about their event or their book or whatever. And I think, first of all, you obviously don't understand anything about marketing because this group of people are interested in my interests, and that's why we're friends – not all of them are interested in reading or authors or writing. And for that matter, I, I find it actually insane that some people will post in the same writer's groups every single day that their book's coming out. Listen, it's a writer's group. It's not a people buying books group. You know, you're, you need to reach outside of those spheres. So I, I find that some people, despite social media being around for so long, still use it very much in the way that MySpace was used in the beginning, like a popularity contest where you networked out and just spammed everyone endlessly. Um, and I think it just shows a bit of uh, immaturity on behalf of those people in terms of marketing. I think we need to send out some marketing for dummies books to... Uh, to a lot of the Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I've thought about it several times. <laughs> I really have. Um, you know, I, I really pride myself in the fact that, um, you know, on, uh, on the subject of social media, um, I very much pride myself that, you know, I, I love my fellow authors and I know a lot of them. 
Um, however, I, I, I've acquired quite a number of readers on my social media. I'm very frank with um, uh, my readers on social media. I'm very frank on social media. And, you know, that kind of gives into the next, you know, uh, part of your question about how social media works in terms of uh, does it better the scenario. Um, I, and I don't suggest this to every author that's out there, um, but I have no problem being very frank on social media. I'm not saying very vocal in terms of, I won't discuss politics anymore. I tried that uh, several years ago and uh, people just, and of course this being an election year, you know, people are going crazy with that. So oh, it's I like stay away from banging that, your head very, against the wall. <laughs> I know, I know. And, I'm, and people are like, I'm unfriending this person. I'm unfriending that person because they, 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 uh, they're all about Hillary. They're all about uh, Trump or the, you know, I, I know who I'm voting for, and if you want to make a difference, then go out and vote. Uh, there's nothing more to it than that. However, I am very, um, I am very vocal with social media. Um, I have no problem talking about my personal life. I have no problem talking about dating life, and that's just me, though. I'm not saying that's right for everybody, but I feel comfortable talking about my personal life. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I feel comfortable with that. And that may not be, you know, everybody's mileage varies. And I, you know, some authors ask me, beginning authors say, um, should I be as, as vocal as you are? And well, well, only if you feel comfortable with it. I don't do it for, um, I don't, I don't do it for publicity. I don't, I'm just me. I'm me on social media. And that, that has proven for social media to be a very important tool for me because of the fact that I've had several readers that have approached me have bought my books because they say, Andrew, you're the real deal. You're not a salesperson saying my new books out, my new books out, my new books out, my new books out. I'm not advertising that every day. I'm just saying, Hey, this is a day in the life of Andrew. You know, I'm, I'm, Here's my dating life. Here's my, you know, here's what I'm doing right now. And, and sometimes I'll even post, hey, I'm dancing around half naked to 80s music, enjoying myself. And people love that. You know, well, a lot of people do. Some people don't. I get a lot of people that unfriend me as a result. What's your favorite song to dance naked to? Let's see. I would say... I would say the Go-Go's Vacation. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> it's just fun. You can move around. Everything's there. You know, it, it works, you know. It's, and you're in Seattle. You're um, near the water. So, you know, you're looking at the water. And I'm near the water, like yeah. The, the <laughs> mental vacation starts with being able to see the water. I mean, in Toronto, we're lucky because we have a huge body of water beside us as well. Uh, so, yeah, you, you get in that mentality. All right. Well, you know, and that, that was just off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure there are probably a ton of them, but, you know, my, my music taste is very eclectic, so it depends on my mood. But when I'm just dancing around and doing my thing and, and I want to be able to move around and, and uh, go-go's are very just very 
they make me move. Now the go goes. So we're we're talking <laughs> we're talking girl band. We're talking uh, you know, sort of post punk leading into pop era, and that makes it very easy for me to jump to the super gay issues because this is one of our super gay shows. So you're the winner of a Rainbow Award. Um, which is an annual contest celebrating outstanding work in LGBT fiction and nonfiction. You're an LGBT advocate. You've done a lot of charitable work and fundraising for, uh, for pediatric AIDS and other AIDS-related charities. Um, and it being Pride Month in many parts of the world right now, um, I wanted to ask you, how do you work LGBT characters and issues into your own work, into your writing? Well, in terms of LGBT characters, um, my 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 characters and and you know I I, I can't lie. Um, primarily, my characters are gay men, and and, and, and more specifically, tortured gay men. Um, uh, I I do have uh, I have very few stories or novels that include uh, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. Um, I do have them, but they're few and far between. Uh, the fact that I work gay men as my characters uh, in a lot of my stories, it, it's based on what I know. And that's, you know, beyond uh, uh, you know, I, I want to write what I know. Well, in that you, you've 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 put some practice in, I'm certain. Um, so that that's what's familiar to you. <laughs> no, it, it's not. It's not that I don't want to write about the other characters, but I want to write a character that is believable. You know, yes. I've um, fortunately I've been I've been you know uh, a lot of reviews of my work have always uh, uh, pressed upon characterization. Um, even with straight guys or straight women or, you know, regardless of, uh, of gender or uh, sexual orientation, people say, hey, I can identify with this character. And I think part of that is that I know that well enough that it, it, it comes across as uh, uh, being as real as it should be, you know, um, People understand that um, it'd be unfair for me to uh, write certain characters that I didn't know enough. I mean, um, and I don't know if this is a, a, a question you might have um, down the line in this interview, but I initially, uh, I remember some of the first stories I wrote I wrote with uh, gay characters and I was writing back in the late nineties, early two thousands when uh, there was less of a tolerance in our society mm -hmm. than there is now um, less of a uh, education than there is now. And I remember uh, submitting, you know, uh, snail mail, uh, you know, printing off dot matrix, uh, scripts and mailing them to to certain magazines you know um, uh, and as a result of several rejections and usually it was it's just not for us type of rejection it wasn't very specific 
so I assumed, oh, it's because my characters are gay. Uh, I'm going to change it up. And so I attempted, I attempted something stupid. <laughs> and I'll admit that it was stupid. I, I said, you know what? I'm going to change this character to a woman. And so this love interest is going to be between a man and woman. And it just did not resonate the same. It, it, it was not the same story. Um, and uh, as a result, you know, it didn't change. They were still rejected. And it wasn't, it was not for us. It was, uh, your characterization is unbelievable. Um, before, at least with two main gay characters, it was, it was not for us. Some of the same publications said, Oh, your characterization is not believable. And I believe that because, uh, uh, you know, I was making a gay character into a female character, but I was doing it to go with the masses. I was doing it to say, okay, you know what? Gay characters really aren't that accepted. So it was a bit of a compromise that, that just didn't work out. It didn't work out because, and, and you know what? And now that I look at it, you know, and that was a mistake as a, a, you know, writing from the beginning. But looking back at it now, I'm like, why would I ever even think of doing that? I wouldn't think of doing that ever now. But, but I, back I, then, it was like, okay, you want to get published and you want to do what's right by, you know, um, what's out there and so forth. I do think that a lot of queer writers censor themselves um, because they're concerned that if they have overtly queer themes, that it's not going to get into what I would consider maybe a more mainstream anthology. Because there are anthologies now um, that are, you know, a queer focus on Cthulhu mythology or uh, a queer focus on horror, you know, gay men and horror or something, um, where it, it, we shouldn't need to... to separate the anthologies in that way um but it it even now wait i i I don't worry about that now i don't think about now i it it's not even a a second guess in my my head so you feel now that and i think that i I think part of that is that as writers we grow and we understand the community more we understand ourselves more we understand writing more you know Growth is an important part of a writer's uh, career. So let me ask you, um, outside of the literary world, let's look at at the arts world in general and LGBT themes in horror, uh, books, stories, movies, and television. Um, In the years that you've been writing since, since you got those rejection letters up until now, are the LGBT characters still token or are we entering an age where the LGBT characters can be more primary? And I'm thinking of, um, of depictions in American horror story, uh, true blood, um, which, you know, arguably could be a big step away from something like a nightmare on Elm street part two, um, or something like basic instinct or silence of the lambs. But have have we come far enough that those characters are getting primacy, or do you feel that there's still a tokenism to the gay characters in different media? I think now um, you, you still have your token gay characters, and 
now it, it's kind of progressed to now we need the token uh, Blackgate character. <laughs> um, uh, no, no, no. A perfect example. Um, I'm a big fan of Teen Wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have your token black gay character uh, that came in season five. Um, uh, but I still think that the quote unquote token characters have become stereotypical. Um, they're, they're, you know, they. It, <laughs> They don't exude their own voice. It's more of okay, I'm into this guy, and I'm the the I'm the stereotypical gay character who likes to screw around, and I got six pack abs, and I'm like a model, and so forth. I, I mean, I I really think uh, you know I do like that. Uh, American Horror Story brought in uh, Dennis O'Hare as uh, Liz Taylor. I like that. Yeah. Um, he wasn't uh, this young uh, six-pack abs type of guy, but he wasn't really, he was still confused in the story, in that, in that storyline. Um, uh, you know, he was once straight or bisexual or he, you know, uh, I think it's coming more into view in terms of people are accepting it more and more, but I'd like to see more characters, especially in these uh, TV series that aren't male models that aren't, you know, they're not your Colton Haynes. They're not your, you know, they're not your um, people that are, are these muscular six pack abs um, getting together with other guys that are uh, uh, of the same, you know, physicality. I think that uh, was actually, that was actually the shocking thing about American horror story, uh, American horror story hotel. So that's really hard to say Um, where Dennis O'Hare got with the, what's his name? The gorgeous one that played dandy in freak show. Oh, oh, uh, Finn, 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 um, Finn Wintrog, but yes, it, it became sort you. of like a, a, a bit of a, a daddy mommy relationship, uh, which is fine. Um, but in the previous series and freak show, Dennis O'Hare was a bit of a queer villain. So do you feel that the queer characters in these, in these shows, um, are becoming sort of like the, uh, the Disney drag queen trope, um, like just like, like queer evil villains in a way, like is, is that how queer people are being represented in popular media? And do you see sort of a relief where, um, they're going to get to be a main character where they're not (laughs) an evil murderer or is, is that just because in those shows they're looking for something kind of different and queer is still different enough that, that you can have this homosexual, homicidal maniac character, and that's that's more marketable. See, I don't see um, the queer character becoming, or, or I, I, I've not seen, well, with the exception of a few shows, um, I've, I've not seen the queer character always the, um, the adversary, the, the evil person, um, the homewrecker, or the 
bringer of disease or anything like that. Um, I've seen a lot of queer shows and a perfect example of where you have uh, uh, good characters, positive characters, like uh, uh, shows like Dante's Cove. Um, uh, uh, there are so many shows out there uh, where the queer character is not portrayed as the evil character. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're more mischievous. Maybe they're more mysterious. Um, they're more sexual. But right now, I think on television, especially, uh, since it's more acceptable, they want the queer character to be the ones like, oh, we're going to push boundaries, you know. Um, I remember uh, growing up, an uh, episode of Melrose Place, which I loved, the original Melrose Place, with Heather Locklear, where she was the bitch of all bitches. And um, <laughs> I remember, I, I remember, I remember the episode where uh, the main character, Matt, who was a gay guy, actually kissed another guy. And it was like one of the first major kisses on, on primetime television. Everybody talked about it. I was like, oh, what's the big deal? Um, you know, it, it's, it, you know, with television, it, it, it's come a long way. Um, I think right now, television is banking on is uh, the gay character being a newly accepted character that we're going to, you know, as a director, we're going to take it to the, you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make it that much more. And, uh, you know, they, they, they play for what's worth and they, 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 you know, they're hoping for ratings. Um, to me, it's not that big of a deal, and it hasn't been for a long time. Because when I watch these network television shows, I'm like, okay, I, I, I've been watching here television for almost a decade, and it's common, you know, Dante's Cove, The Lair. You, you see this. Not only do you see uh, kissing scenes, you see sex scenes, and um, and it, it, it's not. It, it doesn't really uh, uh, change the dynamic in terms of when I see it on primetime television, I'm like, okay, okay, that person's gay. I, I, I don't look at it any differently, even though it's, um, it, it, it does apparently to the general public, it makes a big difference. Um, for what reason? I don't know. Uh, well, I think uh, you know, I live in, in it. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say there's, um, I think there's a lot of shows pushing boundaries that are so popular that there's there's got to be a tipping point where audiences just accept that there are going to be more fluid gender roles or sexuality. And I think one of them would definitely be Game of Thrones because people are addicted to that show like it's crack. Um, but there's quite a lot of gender queer sexuality happening in that show. And it's unapologetic, which I think is fantastic. See, and even though I've, uh, I'm going to be bad here. You don't watch the show. Half the people, <laughs> half these people are going to hate me that listen to this podcast. Um, I've not 
Uh, well, no, I take that back. I I can't say I've not watched an episode. I've seen a couple episodes with my best friend and his uh, husband. I, I've watched it while they're watching it, but I've never really followed the show. But I can say in the same aspect, I think, or the same um, kind of idea, uh, Spartacus. I, I was a big fan of that show. Oh, my and you had a God. Lot of, Talk uh, about full yeah, you had a dickery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had a lot of, uh, of things going on there, and um, you know, so I, I understand the Game of Thrones thing. I just have, you know, honestly, I don't think that I've had the opportunity to really. Uh, I was just telling one of my best friends recently that I said I really need to watch that series because everybody's talking about, and I've seen a couple episodes. Um, I saw a really cool episode. Um, when I was at a dinner party with my, uh, one of my best friends and his husband. And, uh, I think it was probably a couple seasons ago and there were like all these baby dragons and the girl with a, excuse me if I don't know the character's names, but Daenerys. the girl with a long <laughs> curly blonde hair, she was like all like, she was taming them and everything. I'm like, Oh, this girl's going to be a bitch. And oh, sure her. enough, I think um, she, <laughs> I think she, she became is, a bitch later on in the series. But she, she's not a bitch. I don't know. She's fierce as hell, and her name is Daenerys Targaryen. So okay, <laughs> um, I, I, I actually will say to you, um, I wanted to watch the show, and my partner Dennis was like, ah, "I don't like that Dungeons and Dragons crap." And I said, "Listen, let's just watch the first two. He watched the first two and was sucked in. It's like a political drama that happens to have a little bit of magic and a lot of like sex and intrigue and monsters. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of, you know, I think that, everyone in there, <laughs> I think that's my, I think that's my issues. I never been a, um, I, I, you know, and no offense to the genre, but I, I've never been a big fan of, um, dragons and fantasy, um, fantasy, uh, in the world of, you know, medieval, uh, uh, you know, Camelot, uh, dragons, castles, and all that. Although I did watch all the Lord of the Rings, but beyond that, you know, I'm, 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 I, I've just never been a big fan of fantasy as but, a reader, but and so as a, as a viewer, that's never. Uh, it's never been one of my things. If you are a fan of seeing peasants throw shit at a bitch, <laughs> it's it's quite a radical experience when you get around to it. So I would encourage you to give it a little bit of a chance. <laughs> it's a crazy show. Uh, and that's it's, the thing. It's insane. It's uh, that, that's the thing. I plan. I plan on giving it a chance. I planned on it, and I'm like, okay. It's not on Amazon Prime. It's not on Netflix. It's not on this. I don't own cable because I don't need cable because I'm too busy. But everything I need is usually on Netflix or Hulu or, and unfortunately, Game of Thrones, well, I can pay for it. But I'm like, you know, uh, why, you know, why pay for it if you can get free on HBO? So maybe I need to subscribe to HBO Go and uh, uh, watch it. Well, listen, um, everyone in Canada right now is getting shitty letters from HBO about the fact that we're apparently legendary at downloading Game of Thrones because, honestly, the deals aren't that great for us to get it up here. <laughs> and we're all pirates. 
but I'm not admitting and see, anything. And here's if, the thing. I, I you know what? I could totally, <laughs> I could totally um, download them for free, but I do believe in, you know, whether it's uh, writers or, or artists, uh, musicians, or uh, even producers and, and, I believe in people getting paid for what they do, and I, I, I just really don't believe in pirating anything, although I have done it in the past here and there, very minimal, but I always get that guilty conscience, and I just, I, I can't do it. It's not my thing. A guilty conscience. Look at that. There we go. There's an admittal. <laughs> so I have a guilty conscience, believe it or not. Let's change gears before both of us get a letter from HBO. And I'm going to ask you, okay. uh, or sorry, in my case, a fourth letter from HBO. <laughs> what was the first queer book that you read that had an impact on you? Ooh. I'm torn. Um, do I go with the obvious or do I go with the unobvious? Well, I, I do so I can go with the I can go with the obvious and say that had an impact on me. Uh, I would say, well, impact unobvious would be Oscar Wilde's Picture Dorian Gray, mm-hmm. which I think there are a lot of queer aspects there. Um, and it's always been sad, so that's that's no big deal. Um, John Ritchie's The Color of the Night. Um, he's an amazing, amazing author. Um, it, it had a very big impact on me in terms of my writing or in terms of me in general. You know, I... I- like maybe I, I should have tailored that question a bit more because I, I do find um, John Ritchie, the first time that I read one of his books, because I know he's very influential in the lives of a lot of artists that I know, not necessarily writers, but artists in general and queer folk. Um, I felt like he, to a large degree, sort of created his own language and his own queer world that, that he presented to us. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as a writer, he didn't necessarily impact me in a way that I wanted to emulate him, but as a queer man, he definitely held a lot of interest for me in terms of how bold and brazen and creative he was in presenting this world to people very publicly that, that he was unashamed of and, and put it out front. So... Maybe what I want to ask you is who was the first queer writer that you read um, that made something click in your head where you said, you know what, I want to write, I want my characters to be queer, and I want to have that sort of sense of politics inherent and nascent in my work and up front? Well, John Ratchie is has come up a lot because I loved his, um, even though he, he, you know, a lot of, uh, his books took place in seventies, early eighties. Um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of pop culture there that really appealed to me. Um, the same appeals to Brad Easton Ellis, even though he, he, uh, identifies as bisexual. 
Um, I'm really a big fan of Alice. Um, but what, uh, believe it or not, going back, going back earlier when I said that I changed my characters to women in my first short stories I sent out. And when I got those rejections it said, women cannot, or, or it wasn't women cannot, but it was your characters don't work with us versus when they were gay, it was the story just doesn't work for us. It was your characters don't work for us. Um, what actually brought me around my biggest inspiration um, was indeed Poppy Z. Bright. Uh, now Billy Martin, um, because he's now, you know, he's now transgendered. Um, uh, Poppy Z. Bright was actually what influenced me so much that pushed me because I had read, it was funny, at the time I was into vampire novels, which I'm not even a fan of vampires, but I was into vampire novels at the time. And I worked at a Walden Books and I had seen Lost Souls and Drawing Blood on the shelf. And we were allowed to do the whole, when you worked at Walden Books, you were allowed to take a book out and bring it back, almost like a library loan type of thing. Uh, that was part of the uh, benefits you had working at Walden Books uh, when you were 16. And so, um, I looked and I said, oh, Drawing Blood, I thought it was a vampire book. <laughs> and so I grabbed it, not knowing that Lost Souls was actually the vampire book. And Drawing Blood was just about an artist, but it was more than that. I've actually read this book. Not only do I own like about five copies, including all these different UK copies and everything, but I've read the book probably now. Um, I just recently re reread it. Uh, I probably read it about 26 times now. Um, love the book. And um, when I read it, I was thinking to myself, wait a minute. I just sent out these stories where I changed my characters um, to female to accommodate the publisher of this magazine or that magazine. Um, and I'm reading this book and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, here's this woman at the time um, that is presenting these gay male characters and there's intense scenes, sexual scenes, uh, uh, violent scenes, but, but most importantly, they're gay main characters. That that's what was important to me. And I'm thinking, okay, she's, she's writing this under uh, uh, an imprint of a major publisher. Why can't I do this then? Yeah. Why, why is this acceptable with a major publisher? But yet when I send it to, you know, this magazine or that magazine, it's not acceptable. So then I realized it was the strength of her own convictions at the time, her own convictions. And again, I go back and forth with her and his, because, well, th those people that don't know, you know, Poppy Z. Bright has become Billy Martin. Um, you know, she no, is I, transgendered I, into he. I think and that's totally I'm fair. I'm saying this for the, 
for 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 the 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 people that that don't know um so but but back when she wrote these things they it was so strong and profound for me that it actually inspired me so much i said you know what i'm sticking to my guns and i stuck to my guns and it went it, 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 you know ever since then it's been great I think that's totally fair. And, you know, they, I, I was familiar with Poppy Z. Bright as a horror author, but had not read anything by her. Um, the first book that I read by her was Liquor, uh, which was actually about two chefs. And it wasn't until about 20... Right, right, right. Yeah, it wasn't until about 20 pages in that I realized that the, the main characters were queer and they were partners. And it took... And me- that was more... And that was more... Uh, you know, the Liquor series was more of... Um, Poppy Z. Bright's more of, uh, okay, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to expand out to more, uh, I don't even want to call it gay literature, but literature in general, yeah. but with gay characters. Um, yeah. And it was, it was, it wasn't the, horror. Yeah. The queerness was very secondary. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought it wasn't, I didn't think that it had primacy in the storyline. It was, a, it was a big part of it. But it wasn't like this is a queer story for you, and um, and I'm, I'm not even sure why I picked it up because when I read the back, I realized okay, it's not it's not going to be a horror novel. Uh, but I think when I went looking for books by this author, that was the only thing in the bookstore that day, so I picked it up, and it was it was kind of a pleasant surprise, you know. Like it's it's always interesting to find an author writing about queer themes that's not beating you over the head with it, but makes it so integral to the storyline that you can't avoid it. Uh, but it was done in a very great, delicate way, I thought. Um, and, and I actually didn't know that, that Poppy had become Billy Martin until we had this conversation right now. Um, and I think that's, that's actually fascinating. Oh, really? Oh, you didn't know that? No. No, I think that's oh, that, actually... That, that's, very, that's very interesting. And if you, you know... Had you followed Poppy's career, you would have read The Value of X before you read Liquor, because that was a nice prequel to it. So, just saying, it was the the um, uh, uh, before the Lord of the Rings. You had The Hobbit. Uh, that was. Well, yeah, I was kind of waiting for you to say that, but oh, yeah, uh, Hobbit. <laughs> I, I thought without you were the, without the three books. <laughs> no, I, I, I was giving you the. I was giving you the. I was like before Lord of Rings. You had. I'm sorry. Listen, um, if I wanted a trivia show, <laughs> well, you would have gone to uh, the lobby once it was a place to go to here in Seattle. Anyway, no, I was absolutely um, terrified of giving the wrong response there. You've just freaked me out. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean to do that. I don't want the listeners hearing me Googling. <laughs> oh, so, gosh. Don't do that. Like, listen, that. listen, I'm typing. It doesn't even know what <laughs> came before. I'm like, it's the fucking Hobbit. All right, we're good. Um, <laughs> now... Um, in, in the same vein of queer, do you have a, a favorite work of LGBT horror, whether that be a film, a book, a piece of art? Is there, is there one piece that stands out for you as, as specifically like a queer work of art that you just adore? Or have we already discussed that in you mentioning that you've read this book several times? 
you probably have. Um, I, I really love um, Poppy Z Wright's Drawing Blood. It's it's amazing. It incorporates horror, incorporates gay relationships. Um, uh, pretty much any of her work at the time, uh, when uh, during the time she was writing. Um, I am a big fan, though. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, Absolutely. Series. I just cannot get enough of that. And I recently just started rereading uh, from the beginning. And now, to you know, be, because he, he, he did uh, uh, produce some novels later now. Um, uh, after the actual original six, uh, that have been just great and, and amazing. And I kind of hope he keeps producing them. It, it's one of those things I don't want to end. It, it, it's like watching a, a television series that you're like, no, I don't want it to end. They're absolutely um, addictive. Uh, my friend Jen gave me a bunch of the books. And then when I was in Provincetown for Bear Week a um, couple of years ago and then the year before, he was there both times signing books, um, talking to people, doing a presentation and, you know, such, such a high level of popularity. And he has created this serialized universe that kind of pulls together like tabloid headlines and everyday gay culture and then just everyday life that it's, it's obsessing. It's, it's, you know, you start reading tales of the city and you cannot put it down. And there's so much grim, dark, um, uh, themes in there. And at the same time, just things that we all go through every day. So he, he really hit the nail on the head with that series. It's fantastic. He totally nails it, and uh, it, it, it's a great series. Um, it's a little bit dated when you read the, um, you know, the original ones. Uh, you know, tales and more tales and further tales. Oh, uh, you you have to place yourself but, in that late seventies, early eighties, where you know the idea of someone being a black supermodel is completely unique. <laughs> and I was right, and see, and see, reading those, I wasn't even born, so I'm like, okay, let me let me try to relive this. Same with John Ritchie, you know, a lot of his books. Um, although uh, Ritchie has given me a lot of inspiration um, uh, uh, for my Tristan Wilde books. So, I mean, um, yeah, so I mean, uh, you you go into those eras of time. You go into you know the seventies, eighties, and even though it seems outdated, the emotions are still very not dated. You know, it's um, the emotions are still there, and the reality is still there. No, I, I, yeah, I think that's completely fair. I mean, he he hit on very human themes, and I think that's why that's what has made those books last for so long, and why so many people absolutely adore them. Now, outside of talking about adoration for certain authors, I want to talk about blood and guts before before our time is up. In a past episode, one of our roundtable topics was how much horror is too much horror. 
because at times you will have editors say that's too much, that's disgusting, no one's going to want to read that, or <laughs> or you have to submit to a publisher of extreme horror. Um, and I understand that you experienced an issue like that with the publication and then the subsequent republication of your novel Nightfall. So can you walk me through your thoughts on inclusion of extreme graphic material and how it relates to the integrity of the work? You know, it, it wasn't so much, you know, the, the nightfall wasn't as much an issue as much was, uh, uh, my, 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 uh, collection, much madness more of sin. And I think that would be a better example, honestly. Um, nightfall, I, um, I pretty much, uh, had it republished with additional information because there is a sequel in the works and, um, people wanted to know more of, uh, of the story. And so I kind of gave it that in terms of much madness, more of sin, that that's a different story. Um, that's actually more true to what you're asking, uh, in terms of blood and guts, uh, graphic horror. Um, I wrote much madness, more of sin. And, and it's a term taken from the conqueror worm from, uh, Edgar Allan Poe's, uh, uh, poem. And when I wrote that, it went out to several, either beta re readers or reviewers. I don't know which, um, because I wasn't really told by the publisher. Um, but what happened was the publisher came back to me and said, Hey, you know, this is either going to fly or it's not going to fly. <laughs> and I said, Oh, okay. And I was, uh, asked to provide a forward to it an introduction, so to speak. Um, this is why these stories and, and much of Madness Morrison's is it's a short story collection. And, uh, I was told, Hey, maybe, you know, let people know why this was written this way. And I said, okay, well, it, it was supposed to be extreme, uh, you know, hence the title, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be, um, extremely sexy, extremely gruesome. Um, not every story is that way, but they, they kind of alternate between the two. Uh, but most importantly, it was about the, the idea of love going over, over the line. Uh, I wanted an extreme case of that in all these stories. And so I wrote the introduction and sure enough, what happens? <laughs> uh, it does win the rainbow. Actually, I won two rainbow awards. Um, but, uh, you know, there are a couple reviews that have said, we don't know why the author did an introduction to this collection because the stories speak for themselves. Blah, 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 you know. But somebody and was like, worried along the way. Why did I do that? I'm like, you fucking, you fucking publisher. I hate you now. 
Um, not really hate. Um, hate's a strong word. But I dislike you now for a minute um, <laughs> until you give me my next royalty check. Um, you know, it, it was it was really uh, it, it was really interesting that uh, that came about, and I was like, well, it's just a collection of stories, and uh, you know, it happened, and uh, you know, I can't take it back. Uh, but in the case I republish of, it, you know, in the case of books where you know we're we're talking about extreme horror, um, wouldn't it be better just to treat it like a, a CD or you know iTunes album where you just slap an explicit lyrics uh, notice on the front instead of going through all the trouble of trying to explain yourself? Do we need to do that? Oh, no, because I am. You know what? No, no. You know what? I I I I'm glad you brought this up. Because I've recently seen this with a couple of authors, and I'm sorry, I, I, I don't believe it. Um, you know what? I, I don't believe that books need a R rating, an X rating, a um, caution under 18 only. No. Um, or over 18 only. <laughs> under 18 only, too. Yeah, that that that's that's a lot of market, but uh, I, I I misspoke there. Actually, I'm in over eighteen, over twenty one. Um, but no, no, this whole uh, you know this is rated. This is you know as a I, I as a teenager, I I watched. Yeah, you know, my mom had me watching Text Chainsaw Master when I was preteen. Um, Phantasm like all the great cult classics um, because my mom and I always shared those things. Um, I, I thought, uh, you know, she always told me, she's like, you know, this isn't really real. This is, you know, so, but this whole thing about it's something censoring. It's like, what, let, let's put a cap on things. Um, you can't buy this CD, which no one buys CDs anymore. I mean, they all downloaded on Spotify. I, I have Spotify. There's no, there's no, this is rated R. They have deluxe version. They have unrated version. You know what? How does the uh, uh, app know that you're under 18 unless you, you know, uh, it, it's just ridiculous. I mean, people under 18, under 21 are going to watch, play video games, uh, uh, listen to whatever they want. I think it's more of, you know, you put a sticker on a book that says uh, explicit content age 21 and over. And it's no, a bestseller. <laughs> But that it's went, up to the I, parents. It's like it, it's like the reviews, and I've yet to see it. I, I'm I'm actually getting it tomorrow. Um, uh, I've yet to see Deadpool. But what's funny is I'm reading all these reviews about Deadpool, and they're like, "I will never have my kids watch this in a theater again." I'm like, "Okay, well, it was rated R, so it's like 17 and under, and even though they're probably gonna see it anyway." It's up to you as a parent. Oh, it's hilarious. They're just, if they're complaining about it, they're and, just and stupid. And it's so stupid. 
I'm like, really? I'm like, okay, why would you take your kids to this? If you And if you saw the trailer, you would know. And so these people are so, uh, I, I, I really, you know, again, I, 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 I pride myself in someone who doesn't believe in boundaries. Well, I think that a lot of people probably have an issue with Deadpool because of hashtag pegging. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it there. Okay. Out there in... In this queer conversation where to us pegging is like, huh, good for him. <laughs> you know, I could, I could, uh, you know, I could one that up with hashtag fisting, but you know, but, <laughs> but you haven't seen the movie yet. So you don't know. <laughs> well, that's true. But, but I, I, you know, I, you know, God forbid, uh, children under 17, listen, or 18 or 21 or whatever the age is nowadays, um, listen to this podcast. I mean, that's well, you know, I, actually, like now podcasts have, we, mm-hmm. <laughs> we have an explicit warning on our podcast so we can say things like hashtag pegging leads to hashtag fisting. And with that warm thought, I'm going to let everyone know how they can find you online. You can find Andrew Wolter online at www.andrewwolter, that's W-O-L-T-E-R.com. And you can find him on Twitter at Andrew underscore Wolter. And for the podcast, if you want to keep listening to hashtag fisting, hashtag pegging, and hashtag awesome horror writers every week you can find us on twitter at gl horror podcast or on facebook as the great lakes horror company and you can subscribe on itunes to get a new podcast full of raunchy ear candy every single monday andrew it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this podcast and not just because we share a name but because this was actually a a great conversation thank you so much for making the time for us can you let the listeners know what to expect from you in the near future and what they can look forward to yes 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 absolutely um uh i'll have under my name andrew walter um i have um seasons in his abyss coming out in september Long awaited. I know everybody's been waiting for this. They've been waiting for my tentacle mythos. Um, and beyond that, uh, in October, Haunt Me Again, awesome horror story novella. Um, and under the name Tristan Wilde, in which I write uh, uh, homoerotic thrillers, I have Q, a novel coming out in... I believe August, maybe September. Um, that's the under genre books. Uh, and then also uh, you can tune into my, or not tune into because you can't listen to it, but read my uh, weekly uh, uh, gay dating life, uh, Jet City Boy Culture, which we're now in our fifth installment, uh, which actually is in Out Magazine and also out view. Um, and we're finishing that up and the first book in that will be coming out in the next year as well. So that's where I'm at. That's absolutely fantastic. And I feel like we definitely need to have you back because there's some territory that we haven't quite covered. Uh, but I consider you a homoerotic thriller and thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for joining us this week. The HWA Ontario chapter will be on the road this summer, and you can find us at the following events. 
the Rue Morgue Dark Carnival, July 9th and 10th at the Hamilton Convention Center in Hamilton, Ontario, Fan Expo from September 1st to 4th at the Metro Toronto Convention Center in Toronto, Word on the Street at Harbourfront Centre, Sundry, September 25th in Toronto, and at Horrorama at the Hyatt Regency Hotel, October 15th and 16th in Toronto. Until next time, remember that everyone's entitled to one good scare.